Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Today the message is stuck in the middle, stuck in the middle. We're going to be in, uh, begin in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17, and we're going to look at the story of Elijah today. Uh, part of what we're going to share may be familiar from when we did our series, Good God, and I, I, I had the message, I think it was the second week, uh, talking about the God of more than enough, but I want to uh, share what happened before and after uh, what we had talked about that week. And um, yeah, so 1 Kings 17, we're going to look at this, and uh so I've, I've got uh, first flight I've had since May uh, coming up in a few weeks, and uh, I didn't I get the, like the budget uh, price, so like I don't get to pick my seat. There's a very good chance I'm going to end up in the middle. And I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who likes the middle seat because nobody ever does. Um, but this kind of unspoken rule: if a right to both armrests. You just do. I, it's just if you don't know that, that's the rule. That's the unspoken rule because because you can't lean. Uh, you can't lean to the left. You can't lean to the right. So if you're if you're stuck in the middle, uh, and so so being in the middle today, we're going to look at. You know, there's this kind of progression you see throughout Scripture, and and uh, it, that there's middle seasons in life. There's places we see this in in the beginning with Israel when God delivered them out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He set them free in a dis- dramatic display of His power in overcoming the the greatest kingdom of the world. He delivers Israel out of slavery and uh, brings them through in the miracle of the Red Sea parting. Brings them out, and then He takes them going towards their promised land, the place that God has always prepared for them to be, the land that he had promised their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is your land, this is yours and your children's forever. So they always had a promised land. They always had a place that God was bringing them towards. But uh, between where they had been and where they were going, they were in the middle. And the middle for them was a place called uh, the wilderness. And you see this throughout the Bible, that there's oftentimes middle places, middle seasons, places in between what we've prayed for and the answer coming, what we've been promised and and actually experiencing that promise, that the middle season is sometimes a place of transition, that things are changing in us and around us. And it's in those places that I think some of God's deepest work can happen on the inside of us. It's in those places where we feel sometimes the most uncertainty or the, the we have the greatest tendency to give up or quit. But I, I think it's in those places where we, we have to hold on to a promise and all we have is a word from God or a promise from God. All we've had is that thing we've prayed for and we believe God for, but we've yet to see it. It's in that middle ground that we're to see the greatest and deepest work in our lives. So we see this in Elijah. We're going to look through three progressions, three places that Elijah was in a very important season of Israel's history. Elijah, the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead, verse 1, said to Ahab, he's the king, the backslidden of Baal, uh, and here's, here's the, here's the, be dew, nor rain all these years, except at my word. From this moment, and what would end up being for three and a half years exactly, there was not a drop of rain in all of Israel. 
Now, why is that important? Well, Israel had left the worship of the living God and put their trust in Baal, who was an idol, a, a counterfeit. In fact, the name Baal literally means a master or a lord, uh, lowercase l. It's a counterfeit lord. It's something that we, any of us, you know, we don't worship statues, uh, at least in the, in the Western world as often. But here's what we do have. We have counterfeit lords. We have other masters, other things that we've allowed to direct our lives instead of Jesus. And any time we go to a substitute, any time we look to a lesser Lord, a lesser master, a lesser leader in our heart and life, we're always going to get inferior results. Baal uh, was, was worshipped by the Israelites and the Canaanites around as the God who controlled the rain. And God was going to let them know this idol has no power. This, this counterfeit, this uh, lesser master has no ability to provide, no ability to take care of you. And so for three and a half years, they had no rain except at the word of the Lord through Elijah. And then the word of the Lord came to him, and here's what God says to him. Because here's the problem with being a prophet is you got to live with your, pro- your prophetic word too. <laughs> and so he lives in Israel, by the way, and uh, there's not going to be any rain. And so the word of the Lord came to him and said, get away from here and turn east and hide in this place the brook Cherith. We'll look at what that means in a moment, which flows into the Jordan River. And it will be that you shall drink from that brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he did and went according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while. This is the key, verse 7. After a while, you know, when there hasn't been rain, there's no water to fill the rivers. And so the river, the brook, dries up because there had been no rain in the land. The, the, the name brook Cherith, Cherith literally means two things. It means to cut. It, and, and to cut carries this idea, one, of separation, but it also was used of cutting covenant, joining into a covenant relationship. And, and this season, I think, is, is a great picture. We're going to look at three different places that Elijah goes, and each of their names is significant, for it brings victory and fruitfulness and, and his purpose. See, it's not so much about what's happening around you. What's, what really matters is what God's doing in you. And a lot of times we get discouraged because it looks like a mess around us, maybe in our family, our community, our our nation. But I want to tell you that when you've got God, when you're in covenant relationship with God, who says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. God says to Elijah, there's no water, there's no rain, but I'm going to take care of you for this. I want you to come to this place, this brook, and as long as there's water, drink from that place. Drink water from this brook, and I'm going to actually bring food to you. Now, here's the thing that some of us have to recognize, I've had to learn this sometimes, is don't be picky about how God provides for you. Don't try to predetermine how God's going to answer your prayer. And I know this sounds great. He's got ravens bringing him meat, but I don't know if you know that that, uh, ravens are they're carrion eaters. <laughs> they, th- this is not like he flew through high V and got the best cut. But I love that God was faithful, even in this season, to provide for Elijah every single day. Not only every day, but they brought him everything he needed, morning and night. When we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. He's our provider in every season. No matter what's going on around us, God is faithful, and when he is, see, our resources can change, but when he's your source, when God is your source, he never fails. 
He never changes. And it's at the place, that our Brook Cherith, where we end up having two things. One, we enter into a deeper, closer relationship with God. It's a place of dependency. But it's also a place where we cut the ties. In fact, that's where we're stuck because we're held back by our past. We're held back by things that have been done to us, said about us. People have hurt us. People have left. Things have happened. And we're still attached. And I, I see this all the time. People uh, get held back in the very thing that God wants to do in their life because of whatever the list is. They don't feel qualified. They, they don't like the people on the journey. <laughs> And there's all kinds of reasons, but here's what Elijah comes to. God brings Elijah to the place where he's at the brook, and it's at this place where he has to learn to be completely and absolutely dependent upon his God. And when you do that, when you recognize, you know, I've said it before, but I found out that God was all I needed when he was literally all I had. But sometimes you're at that place where you've got to cut the ties to other dependencies, other gods, other idols, other masters, other things, even things that are unhealthy. Cut the tie with shame. Cut the tie with bitterness, unforgiveness, hurt, betrayal, loss. Cut the ties with your past. Cut the ties with those things that have kept you from moving forward in God's purpose for your life. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, you say I'm, I'm not allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm, not al- or I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. <laughs> you know, there, there's kind of this counterfeit freedom in the world today that freedom means I pursue every interest of my own life. Not always, always recognizing that all, not all things are helpful for me. Are, are you with me? Not all things feed my soul. Not all things build my marriage. Not all things uh, strengthen my integrity. Not all things produce real and lasting freedom in my life. I can, I can recognize, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is, is not in eating and drinking and, and ritualistic practices and, and traditions, but it's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the inheritance of all of us. I miss righteousness, peace, and joy. I have no joy then something is robbing me of that, or I've surrendered my joy to it. Number two, as we look at, <laughs> as we look at the story, I, I want to, well, let's go back to verse 7 real quick. If we can put this back up. 1 Kings 17, 7. It happened after a while that the brook dried up. See, the problem with staying, see, God told Elijah, he just gave him one step of the journey. Go to the brook. And I'm sure Elijah thought, on some level, God's going to take care of me here, and he's going to take care of me in this way, and we're just going to hang out here until he says it's time for rain again. But after some time has gone by, the place, the method that God used to provide for Elijah dried up. And there's sometimes in our season, there's things that once produce life that no longer There's some things that were once helpful and good and even from God, but there's no longer water there. And that sometimes is the hardest place to recognize we've got to cut the ties because here's where Elijah is. Elijah is there for a season, and God supernaturally provides a miracle. But what happens when God says it's time for him 
to get unstuck. It's time for him to move from the brook Cherith and go to another place because God had something for his next season. But for him to go to that next season, he had to let go of the old season. Some of us are still stuck in a place in our own life that we're trying to find water, but there's no water. We're trying to draw from an empty well. We're trying to draw from an old history. We're trying to draw from old relationships, but there's no life in that anymore. We're trying to draw from our, our past. But, but here's, here's the reality, that sometimes God changes the method because the method is not what's important. The method is not what's our source. And suddenly, other things, or, or, or they stop working, and I've got to look for, God, what are you doing right now? Why is that important? Because God's looking for a relationship and dependency. Do you know Jesus never healed somebody the same way all the time? He, he did all kinds of different things. Sometimes he laid hands on them. Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes, you know, he even did really creative things like spitting in the mud and rubbing in their eyes. We don't have those kind of altar calls. But, but it wasn't so much about the method because we like to reduce God to a method we can understand and control instead of recognizing that he's always wanting to do something new in our lives. Maybe God's speaking to you and you don't recognize he's speaking to you because you're thinking he's going to talk to you the way he's always talked to you. <laughs> okay. So sometimes we've got to cut the ties, not with, just with bad things, but also with old methods, old, 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 old history. Elijah, it's time to move. Number two is let God refine you while you're in the middle. In fact, this is really what the middle's about. It's not just what God's going to bring. See, God brought Israel out of, out of Egypt, and he brought them through the wilderness. And as they go through the wilderness, he's ultimately wanting to bring them to something. And I've said this many times, but every one of us has a purpose from God. You have a promised land. You have something that God is bringing you towards. And, and we kind of have this mindset, I'm not exempt from this, I do, that the, I think the goal for God is to get me just to the destination. But you know the destination is actually the easy part for God. God can answer any prayer. He can move any mountain. He can change any situation. But what's the middle about? What's the wilderness about? The reason why Israel had to go in the wilderness, he had to provide them every day. The reason for that is because you can get the promise and miss the one who gave it. It happens all the time. People experience a miracle, but they don't have a relationship with God. Jesus healed lots of people that didn't follow him. He's good like that. He'll still heal you. He'll still move in your life. But the goal is relationship, and the goal is transformation. Because God's not just after providing. He's after transforming. He can bring the answer in a moment, and sometimes he does. But what he's really after is transforming us to be like him. He's not just bringing an answer, relief from a problem. Most of us, when we approach God, we're thinking, God, relieve me from this issue. Like, you got to help me. You've got to, you've got to, you and, and we think 
All it takes is God answering that prayer, and then I'll be happy. Let me give you a real common one. We're single. God, bring me a spouse. So hard to be a single Christian. We're praying, and some time's passing, and, and we're wondering: should I, should I, should I settle, <laughs> or should I wait for the promise? And do you know what's happening while you're in the middle? God's working on you. So if I had years, I was praying for my wife. I had no idea she was in a place called Iowa. And, and, and I'm praying, and God's doing something in that season in me because it wasn't enough for him. What, makes, what made me a husband wasn't having a wife. <laughs> Being a pastor has nothing to do with having a church. My purpose has nothing to do with God just bringing the answer. It's God doing something on the inside of me to make me ready for the promise. And that's what God does in the middle is he refines us. And Elijah, while he's sitting there by a dry brook, (laughs) arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, let me give you some cultural context why this is a big deal. Of course, she's a widow. But because she's a widow in this time, in this culture, she's likely destitute with very little, if any, means to provide for herself. And God commanded somebody who was in need to provide for Elijah. That, 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 that makes no sense to our natural minds. In fact, it doesn't make I'm sure there was probably a moment, if Elijah's anything like me, there's probably a moment. The Bible actually says he's a man with a nature just like ours, so he's not Superman. Elijah's just like us, and, and I'm sure at some point he might have thought, hey, God, um, y- you could, like, bring Elon Musk rolling up in a Tesla with my favorite Chick-fil-A meal, and that's how you're going to provide for the rest of the famine. <laughs> Nobody else's. Okay. So, so, so here's, here's, God had a different method than Elijah would have chosen, but it wasn't just about, let's, let's look at this. So he arose, he went to Zarephath and he came to the gate of the city. Indeed, a widow was gathering sticks there and he called her and said, Hey, can you please bring me some water in a cup that I might drink? And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread that's in your hand. And uh, she said, as the Lord God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. See, I'm actually gathering a little couple sticks that I may go prepare it for myself and my son that we're going to eat it and we're going to die. <laughs> she's, she's saying, listen, I'm getting my last meal. The nerve. <laughs> You've got. I was okay with getting you some water. But see, remember what God had told Elijah. I've commanded a widow. It doesn't say this, but here's what I think. God has already prepared her. He's already begun to speak to her. And sometimes following God's voice and doing what God has said to do doesn't always look easy. It looks like, but, but when I respond to what he says, it's never because God wants to 
God needs something from me or God wants to take something from me. It's always because as long as my hands are full with the thing I don't need, he can't give me the thing I do need. And so God comes to this woman. He says, I'm going to use you. And Elijah shows up and says, hey, uh, can you give me some water and some bread? And she goes, no, no, you don't understand. This is my last meal. This is, this is I'm providing, I'm, I'm making my last meal, and then we're going to die. Like, that's, that's as far as she's thought down the road. And so Elijah responds to her, and he says, don't be afraid. Go and do what you said, and make, <laughs> this guy's got, anyway, um, make me a small cake from it first. And bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, here's what mattered. The bin of flour will not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her, he and her household ate, not for one day, not for a final meal, but for many days. Verse 16, and the bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to what? The word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. See, everybody wants a miracle, but we don't want to do what it, needs, it takes to get a miracle. What does it take? Whatever he says, do it. If it makes sense, if it doesn't make sense, if it means surrender, if it means trust, if it means knowing that God is faithful even in the middle when you can't see a way forward. Elijah, God was after taking care of this woman and her son. And God, it's in crisis that we oftentimes feel like we've got to hunker down. We've got to let fear direct our lives. But in this moment, she has a choice. Am I going to respond to what the Lord has said? Am I going to trust God? I think there's a lot of people that were in need in that season, the whole nation. But God supernaturally provided. Zarephath means this. It means to fuse metal to refine like a goldsmith refines gold, to melt, to pure, to purge away, and to try. What's the middle about? God sends Elijah, and his middle season is a place called Zarephath. In fact, he's going to spend the rest of the famine there. But while he's in the waiting place, in the middle place, what is God doing? God is purging away anything else of dependence, any other place that he would trust in. See, it's got to take some humility for Elijah to respond to the word that God gave him. It's going to take trust for Elijah to stop depending on one method that God had used for for a period of time, which was ravens. Because God was doing something new. I'm telling you, church, God is going to be doing a whole lot of new stuff that we've maybe never even seen in church before. But if we're following his voice and following his lead, that's where he meets us. Because it's not just about God taking care of us. There's people in need in our city. There's people in need in North Iowa that God's called us to reach, called us to impact. But right now, right where you're at, right in the middle, what is God doing? I believe two things are happening. We see it in this meaning of this name, Zarephath. First is diffuse metal. When metal is going to be joined to metal, you've got to heat them up. And when you and I are in a place where things get hotter and more intense, and we feel like we're in a spiritual furnace. If we've got God with us, we're right where we need to be, because it's in that place two things happen. To the surface, 
of that gold. And the goldsmith begins to take with a ladle, begins to draw out and remove the impurities and the things that don't belong there. And that's the same thing that God does in our lives. As the pressure's on and the moments of intensity are on and we're stuck in the middle, there's going to be some stuff that may come out of our own hearts. And we go, what is going on? Well, maybe, just maybe, you're being refined. And if you'll allow God to do what he wants to do on the inside of you, he can take that stuff. See, see the, the, the process of refinement doesn't create the impurities, it reveals them. Some, some of us are in seasons right now where we go, I thought I was past this. <laughs> no, no, God, God saw that stuff all there. But now it's at the surface so that you know what's in your heart. But if you let him, he can, he can remove that. He can, he can clear that away because what God is after is what happens when you and him become fused. So you're not coming out of the middle the way you went in. This woman went into a season of three and a half years of famine in total need with her last meal. She came out with more than enough. She went in one way, she came out another way. She discovered who her God was. She discovered that he was faithful and he would be there right in the middle. Job 23, verse 8, look, I left hand, I can't behold him. It's like God is not there. I go backward and I can't perceive him. But when he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. And when, I turn, when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him, verse 10. But he knows, God knows the way that I take. And when he's tested, refined, tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now let me just say this about testing. There's two kinds of testing. The devil tests us to destroy us. And there's a lot of stuff I think we think God's testing us has nothing to do with God. Has everything to do with the devil we're called to overcome. Are, are you with me? God's tests are a little bit different. God's tests are always about qualifying and preparing you. About growing you. About transforming you. About, you know, God could have put us in a padded world with no problems. He created everything good, but man has fallen. But here's the thing. God could have, in a moment, dealt with it. The problem, you know, here, here's why God, here's, here's why they're still probably sending the church to bring the gospel to them. If, if God took care of, if God removed all the evil in all the world, it would look like a lot of people being gone. That God wants to save. So, so let's, let's <laughs> that's a whole other sermon, but I want you to catch this. Because in the place where you're in the middle, let me give you a few quick keys how to come out of the middle successfully. <laughs> we can put these behind me. First is to know that God is with you in the middle. I don't know what your middle season, your wilderness looks like. It's different for everybody. But I can tell you this, that God's with you right in the middle of it. He was, he was as much with Israel in the wilderness as he was at the Red Sea. When it was obvious <laughs> when they could celebrate the miracle. But God was still with them. He's with you when you feel it. He's with you when you don't. He's with you when the worship team's leading us and you feel the presence of God, and he's with you when you don't. Know that God is with you in the wilderness. Psalm 68, 6, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. The rebellious dwell in a dry land. See, Elijah could have been rebellious. He could have said, you know, I'm comfortable by this brook, Cherith. <laughs> I 
it's amazing, human nature, we become comfortable with dysfunction. We become comfortable with what's not healthy and what's not working. Because sometimes change is scary. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens dropped rain at your presence. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God. You, oh God, sent a plentiful rain whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. What does the presence of God look like in your do you know what the church is to be? And he brings them into the greatest family that's ever existed, the redeemed, set free. Not perfect. If you're looking for it, my pastor years ago, he told a story about his dad when his dad first got saved. He went to a church, and right in front of him sat the most annoying lady he had ever met. She was loud. She was disruptive. She had the biggest hair. He couldn't see the front because of her hair. She wore too much perfume. And he literally, his dad would move around the room and sit in a different place. And the next week, wherever he would sit, she would show up. Till finally he said, I'm done. I'm going to go try another church. Well, guess who showed up at that other church? <laughs> God's with you in the wilderness. The next one, this is going to be the, the hardest one probably of all of it. Um, don't complain. Ouch. I, I know that's, that's, my, that's my, some of you are like, I was with you until then. See, the, the easy route is to complain. But you know what? one thing I've learned, and you see it in the Bible? The wilderness season for Israel, the first thing to come out of them was complaints against God. Now, sometimes it didn't look like them going to God saying, God, why aren't you doing this? Why are you doing that? No, it looked like them complaining to people. But really, when we complain to people, we're really complaining about God, if we're honest. It, it, complaining is saying, God, if I were in charge, I'd do it differently. I'd do it better. <laughs> and that's why God has to deal with that. That's why he's got to help us. Exodus 16, 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained. Now, I know it's easy for us to criticize these guys, but they had no air conditioning. They didn't have high V to go to, and they didn't have any of the comforts we would have. And yet, sometimes with much less of a problem, I'm complaining. If you don't quit in the middle, you'll make it. If you don't quit in the middle, God will get you there. A lot of things I've experienced over the years weren't because I was better than anybody else or could do what nobody else could do. No, quite the opposite. It was just because I didn't quit. And I'm just telling you, church, you just keep holding on to that promise from God. Hebrews 10:36. for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, that's our prayer, that's our obedience, that's our faith. After you've done God's will, you may receive the promise. You know the promise is true and it's gonna happen because of who gave it. But while you're in the middle, you've got to have endurance. I don't like to run. My wife's a runner. I don't like to run. I like to sprint for short bursts, but I don't like to run long distance. And, and, and a lot of believers, even today, especially today, we like the sprint. We like the excitement. We like the moment. We like the breakthrough. We like the miracle. But the Christian life is not just about a moment. It's about endurance. It's about the long course, because God's after more than a moment. He's after our life. He's after generations. Last one, and this is very key, is minister while you're in the middle. 
minister while you're in the middle. Why? How did God get to this woman what she needed? She had to meet somebody else's need while she was in need. Oh, that, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but see, if God can get us over us, can I, can I say that one more time? If God can get us over us and over our problem and see his promise and believe his word, we can respond to what he said and we can meet the needs of other people while we're in the middle. See, sometimes we don't pray for others because we're going through hell. I can tell you, don't wait until you're out of it to serve other people, to love other people. Sometimes we give away the very thing we need, and that's how God's going to bring it to us. I, I, I've prayed for other people for the very thing I've needed in my life. And sometimes I've watched it, didn't get it so much easier. <laughs> but you know, rather than go, well, God, how come they got it and I didn't? How come this happened in their life? And it, no, no, that, that would be complaining. But instead, recognizing, oh, God, you're good. And if you can do it in their life, you can do it in mine. God, you're good, you're good enough for We need to get in the middle. And we need to minister. We need to stand. We need to fight in the middle. I'm almost done. Second, uh, Samuel 23, verse 11, it says that after uh, one of David's mighty men, it goes through the list of David's mighty men, was a man named Shammah. Shammah's name means present. And the Philistines gathered together a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, the harvest. And the people fled from the Philistines. Everybody ran. But he stationed himself where? In the middle of the field. He defended it and he killed the Philistines. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. What's the point? He could have run like everybody else, but he said, no, I'm in the middle. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to fight for the promise. I'm going to fight for the provision. I'm going to fight for what God's given us. The last and final point, number three, is stay planted until you produce. Stay planted until you produce. Jason and the team, if you want to start getting ready. First Kings chapter 18, let's jump ahead a chapter. Because Elijah's story doesn't end at Zarephath. That was just a detour. And can I just remind you, your middle season, your waiting season is not where you're staying. <laughs> I know, it feels like it's been forever. But it's not where you're staying. If you'll allow God. See, I've, I've over the years found that it's a lot easier. Israel was in the wilderness, and it was meant to be a period of a few weeks. Turned into 40 years. Not because God wanted it to be 40 years, but because they refused to allow God to do in them what he wanted to do and refused to enter the promised land when he said to enter it. I, I said it. Sometimes we stay comfortable in dysfunction. God's called us into our promise. And what I've found over the years is I can make the middle see. What do you want me to learn in this season? How do you want me to grow in this season? And if I allow him to do in me what he wants to do, it's, it's just a lot easier. But can I just tell you, while we're in the middle, what do we do? We stay planted until we produce. They end up at a place called Carmel which means fruitful. Mount Carmel is the place where Elijah in chapter 18 calls the nation, calls that King Ahab again, says, hey, Ahab, we're going to have a little bit of a, a contest. And we're going to gather all of Israel together. 
And I want you to get all the prophets of Baal that you've trusted in, that you've turned to, that you've had pray for you, and gather them together, and we're going to have a little contest. We're going to build two altars on Mount Carmel. I'm going to build one to the living God, and you're going to build one to your idol, to, to Baal. And we're going to see which God answers our prayer. And Elijah, after three and a half years of waiting, of trusting, of, of being by a, the brook Cherith, and then going through the middle season in Zarephath and seeing God provide, now finds himself on a mountain before the entire nation. And he builds this altar, and he prepares the sacrifice on it, and he prays a very simple prayer. And God answers by fire before the entire nation. And all of Israel sees. See, up to that point, Elijah said to the nation, he preached this very simple sermon. He said, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? If God is really God, serve him. If God really is who he said he is, serve him. Trust him. Stop going to lesser things and trust the only one who can be there for you. And he calls the nation back to God and God answers by fire and it's the end for the prophets of Baal. Biggest altar call in Israel's history. The nation turns to God. But I want you to see this because if Elijah had quit in the middle, if he had not trusted God through that process, allowed God to refine, allowed God to provide, Carmel was about fruitful. Carmel is about the place that you and I, that you person to where we see the answer, where we see the fulfillment. Stay planted until you produce. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray with you. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.